Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Susan Page. She is a professional photographer who runs a successful photography. Let's try that again. (laughs) Take two. (laughs) Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Susan Page. She is a professional photographer who runs a successful photography studio that specializes in empowering women through the genre of boudoir photography. Welcome, Susan. I am so excited to jump in and have this conversation with you and so happy to have you here. Oh, I'm happy to be here too. It's been a while. To yes, yes. We've been we've been trying to get this going. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited and happy to have you here finally so we can have this conversation and talk about the beautiful light that you're putting out into the world through the work that you do of empowering women through photography. So let us jump right in. How long have you been a professional photographer, Susan? So I guess the short answer to that is I've been taking money for my photography (laughs) (laughs) since about 2010. So that was my first couple of paid gigs were back in 2010. So about 13 years, I guess now, actually. Yeah. Time flies, doesn't it? (laughs) Too fast, honestly. (laughs) When and how old were you when you first picked up a camera and fell in love with the art of photography? Well, my dad was a hobbyist photographer, Okay. so I followed him around when I was a kid and watched him do stuff, plus I was like his model. <laughs> I was a <laughs> model, which is fine because I still have some of those pictures and just little fun things we would do. I still have some of those, which is great. So, so I kind of got the bug from him, mm-hmm. played with some cameras when I was younger. Then in college, I went to college for communications and... I took photography classes on the side while I was in college. I did black and white portraiture work. So I was shooting then on one of my dad's old Miranda 35 millimeter cameras. So I did that all through college. And then after college, I kind of dropped it really because I always had a love for it. And I was always the one that put a camera in, in my hands whenever they needed pictures for anything, you know, family functions and stuff. But for the most part, I went and pursued my real career. I'm doing air quotes here that you can't see. <laughs> my real career. You know, the one that all the adults when you get out of college. Yes, see, the adulting thing. Now, like, yeah. <laughs> so it really wasn't until my, it's my early 40s, I went back to a kind of more hardcore after I had my kids and everything. And Yeah. Yeah. So, so I've dabbled in it like my whole life right. at different levels. That learning on black and white, I mean, you can't beat that. That is, in my opinion, the best way to learn 
and it's a lost art form now, of course, with digital and everything. But, you know, I think back to when I was learning as well in high school in the dark room and there is no feeling like being in the dark room and seeing those images that you shot, that you took with your camera come to life on that piece of paper in the chemical baths. It is such an incredible thing to witness. It's magical to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It is becoming a lost art. I can still smell the chemicals. I love that smell. I love it. It's in my brain somewhere. When I think about them, I can smell them. Yeah. And yeah, learning, you know, learning how to shoot black and white, it trains your eye. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I I think you're right. It is something that's being lost now because with digital, I mean, digital's brought a lot of really positive things. For sure. But I think one of the things that's lost is being able to train your eye on black and white and really yeah. be able to see what colors do in camera. And then the whole, you know, I think you and I have talked about this before, the whole darkroom end of it, yeah. the processing. We, we used to roll our own film. We would buy film in bulk and roll yeah. it ourselves and spool it. We would develop all our film. We learned how to push film and pull film with chemicals to do different yeah. effects to them or to fix things you might have screwed up in yeah. camera. And then the the printing part of it, you know, like dodge and burn is so much more than just like a button in Photoshop. Yes, yes, <laughs> um, absolutely. Kind of understanding the nuts and bolts of what those things did originally, how they worked, I think is huge, but it is definitely becoming a lost art. For sure. Do, doing the test strips and stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, just, oh, such oh, yeah. a, when you think it just takes me back to those smells of the dark room and being in that room. And mm-hmm. again, for me, the most magical part was seeing it come to life on that paper. Once you've run it through the chemical baths, it's just magical, truly magical. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, you were a whole lot more judicious when you were shooting and printing when you were shooting on film and printing your own images. Um, You know, now the whole pixels are free thing. Yeah. Spray and pray. You hear a lot. (laughs) I mean, there's times when that really comes in handy and you shoot kids, you know, little kids that are just moving constantly, pets, animals, whatever. It's great. But yeah, when you learned on film, you framed your image, you cropped it in camera and you made sure it was right or as right as you could possibly make it before you took the shot. And then you you might bracket it a little bit directions just for safety, but that was it because it was expensive to, you know, we developed your own, but you know, if you were sending it out, it costs a lot of money. But you still had to buy the film. You still had to buy the paper to print the images on. So it, the cost yep. adds up Absolutely. for sure. And you had to think about your shot. You actually had to plan it out before you took it. Yeah. And you had what? Was it 36 frames? on 24 or 36. Right, yeah. 24 yeah. or 36. Yep. And if you were shooting like 120 or something like a different format, I think yeah. it was it was even different. It was less. Yeah. Different. So... Yeah, it's it's really interesting how the industry and the craft has changed over the years. So Absolutely. There's been some I'd say there's a lot of positives to digital, but like, you can't replicate that look. You I mean, yes, there are filters and there are plugins to get as close as you can to the look of those black and white images, but you can't. You cannot fully replicate that that look of black and white film. No, and, and the things you can do like now we can buy like software add-ons 
to yeah. load into Photoshop or Lightroom where you can you can add film sprockets to your print or you can get different filed out edges. Like I remember taking the negative carriers and taking a, a rasp yeah. and filing out the edges on the negative carriers so that we could create that yeah. um, developing phase. So it's, you know, now it's fun and you've got like 50 of them to choose. <laughs> yeah. You know, flip them back and forth and be like, oh, do I like this one? Do I like that yeah. one? But yeah, you know, back in its rawest form, that's how we did it. So yeah, I feel exactly. like my grandparents now going like, well, I went to school <laughs> yeah. five miles each way. Uphill, yeah. <laughs> Uphill in the rain and the snow. <laughs> With no shoes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so for you, what was the inspiration then behind jumping into the world of photography? Oh, boy. You know, definitely my dad. You know, I don't know if I hadn't had his influence, you know, if he hadn't been a hobbyist and I hadn't been trailing along behind him all those years, I don't know if I would have ever found it or not. But, you know, I, I feel like it was kind of a lifelong calling. It was something I was always good at. I always had the eye, which I feel is so important. You can learn all the, the technology, you know, you can learn anything these days, but it's, you know, if you have, you have to have the eye, you have to be able to see things. And that's something I've always had. You know, it wasn't until I guess my early 40s when I essentially like burned down my life and started over until I really threw myself into it 100%. But it's always been there. I just wasn't really listening, I guess, yeah. <laughs> until that point. So, yeah. I, I love that you brought that up about having the eye. Now, this begs an interesting question for me. Do you think that I mean, like you just said, you can teach someone how to use a camera, all of those things. Do you think that you can teach someone how to see, like how to have an eye? Or is that just something that we have to practice and get good at on our own and hone that skill or you're just born with it? Boy, that's a really good question. I think maybe a little bit of both. It probably depends very much on the person. So I think, you know, I, I can go back to my college classes I took and you know, learning from my professor there, Steve Berkowitz was, he was really influential for me when I went, I went to Temple in Philadelphia okay. and I learned a ton from him. I learned maybe how to see better. Yeah. So I think you can learn it, but I don't know if it's not there at all. If you can, you can probably learn the basics, you know, the yeah. words and all of that stuff, but really being able to see things. I had a conversation years ago, actually with a therapist of mine, back when I was going through my separation and my divorce and stuff. And I remember saying to him, I don't even know how we got on the conversation, but I said, I see in lines. Yeah. And he, what do you mean? I said, I see in lines, like everything is a line. It might be a curvy line. It might be a soft line, a hard line or whatever. But in, to me, everything is made up of lines. So if I draw I'm replicating what I'm seeing like with lines that I'm drawing on the paper. Or whatever. Yeah. And I remember him being really surprised by that. And he said, I've never heard anyone say that before. And he <laughs> said, I don't know that he's like, I, I hear you explaining it. He said, but I can tell you, I don't see that way at all. And I think that's the first time I realized that maybe I see things a little bit differently, you know, if yeah. you break them down. Everything is, everything is lines. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, you can teach people the technical shit, the rule of thirds, all of that stuff. You can teach them that stuff. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not a technical photographer. I, I don't pay too much attention to that shit, mm -hmm. the, all the technicality stuff. That's not – I shoot more 
and go by feel and uh-huh. using my eye. I can't be bothered getting into all the technicalities. I mean, yes, you got to know your f stops, your shutter speeds, all of that stuff, absolutely. But beyond that, I can't be bothered delving into and dealing with all that shit. I just go by what I see and what I feel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because I, and I've had this conversation many times with other women in the industry and it's, I feel like women shoot much more by feel mm-hmm. and from gut and guys, not always, obviously not always across the board, but guys seem to get a little bit more involved in the technical end of it. And, you know, like you see a lot of times these men that post images and stuff, they're big in the, like, I shot this, you know, give all the technical yeah. and everything. And then, you know, and they're like, I had a, you know, four foot octobox. Yeah. <laughs> Three lights. Here's my lighting setup. And... Angle with yeah. Yeah. Grid and my power was set at this. And, yeah. and, you know, then those of us like, like I'm in the group of, well, yes, I shoot with lights and I've got strobes and I have all that. When, when I need them, I shoot with them and I set them up and I light them to where it feels and looks right to me. Yeah. And I can't, unless I would jot everything down, I couldn't tell you what the heck I shot it at. And, <laughs> and I noticed that even back in college, we had to do a project based on an artist and I picked Whistler and mm-hmm. I did some, he did a black on black thing at one point. So I decided I was going to do portraiture and black on black. So I had no model. So I was my own model. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, back before all the digital and stuff, I was still doing, you know, like the, the, you know, remote shutter, the time release, you know, you set, set your time. Yep. Set yep. the bottom, run around, jump yep. in front of the camera, and then yep. move until it went. There was no remote control or anything. Nope. And I was doing that. I had a black background. I had old lights I took from my dad that were literally in like metal dishes. They look like something you'd find in your basement, <laughs> but they worked, you know, just make yeah. sure you put the right light bulbs in there. And I shot it and I shot it where so that I was all in black. So the only thing that wasn't blending in really was like my face and my hands. But I was all in black against the black background and I had to separate myself. And that was really, I think, the point where I realized that wasn't sure I knew 100% what the hell I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> but I had the gift of being able to look at it and figure it out and, yeah. and do it. And I think like to this day, in a lot of ways, that's kind of how I operate. I wish I knew the technical end. I wish I could rattle off all the stuff. That yeah. I but, you know. I remember doing that kind of stuff with the pinhole cameras because that's what yeah. we we also learned how to. We made our own pinhole cameras and yeah. shot I mean, when we were in photography class in high school. Yeah. And doing that kind of stuff with the pinholes was really cool. Yeah, it was fun. I did yeah. a daughter's Girl Scout troop a couple of years ago. They had me come in and do a, a talk. So yeah. we made little like pinhole cameras and stuff. And that was pretty fun. I would love to do that again. Those were incredible and a lot of fun, the pinhole cameras. Oh, yeah. 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 All that old stuff. You can buy the old, the Holgas now. And yeah. I've got one of those laying around somewhere. There's all kinds of retro stuff you can play with now, but, but yeah, it all started somewhere. That's right. So Susan, what were you doing for a living before making the leap into entrepreneurship as a photographer? So I started out in marketing. Okay. Yeah. I came out of school. I had a communications degree. I really thought I was going to be going into journalism, honestly, and I did not. I ended up going into marketing and primarily in brand management. 
And that was my my main focus for many years prior. I got lucky. I worked for a couple of of good companies. I had a couple of weird jobs along the way too. Those jobs that you have no idea why the hell you're doing them. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing them. And then after you do like three or four of those, and then you land the job that you just really find yourself in and you go, oh, I took something from each one of those and it all come together and brought me here. So that's when I ended up in the brand management. I used to be heavily involved with horses, with the equestrian industry, okay. um, the equestrian sports side. And um, I ended up going to work for one of the top equestrian products companies in, well, in the country for sure, probably internationally, because it's not really a huge industry. And I cut my teeth on brand management there and it was great. I got to work on a very high end level. I got to work as I kind of progressed through that with the U.S. equestrian team. I did a lot of sponsorship work. So, you know, anytime the Pan Am games were coming up or the Olympics, I was working with a lot of the top riders because they were sponsored with some of my brands that I managed so it was really fun. I rode myself. So I, I, it was just a passion and it was great to be working in the industry and was phenomenal. That's what springboarded me into my first venture on entre- entrepreneurship. I can spit that out. <laughs> so I worked for a company. I'd been very happy there. We were one of the top two companies here in the States. And the other company that was located in North Jersey ended up buying our company So we merged, but in the process of merging, they kept some of our top management. And so my direct boss was kept and, and then they kept the rest of us on a lower level, but they decided to move everything down to North Carolina. I guess North Carolina was giving a whole lot of tax breaks at that point, like these 20 year tax breaks. And so they moved the whole new merged company to like the way out on the eastern ends of North Carolina. And I went down there to look about buying a house. And of course, since I was a a horse girl, the first thing I looked for was where was I going to board my horse? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) More important than where I was going to put myself. And so my ex-husband and I spent some time down there looking around. And honestly, I couldn't find anything. I thought the area was kind of weird. There was a lot of like retirement communities and then some real major poverty areas. And there was not a whole lot in the middle. And it was very removed from any kind of more metropolitan or populated area. So we made the decision to not do the move. It was weird. I was scared. And then I, shortly after that, I had some people from other companies that I worked with in my capacity as a brand manager, again, small industry, heard through the grapevine what was going on and reached out to me and said, hey, we have a spot would you be interested, but you'd have to move down to, it was down to the DC area. And I was like, Hmm, sure. That sounds interesting. So I went down, I officially interviewed pretty much left it at, they wanted to hire me. I wanted to come work for them, but they had a hiring freeze on. Uh And so they had to wait till a position opened up, which was not going to be for a few months into the fall. This was like, you know, late spring, early summer. And that position was a much lower position than what I would have gone into. So then and on top of that, they had to finagle the salary change. So they said, in the meantime, while we wait, would you be interested in doing some contract work for us? And I went, ah, what else am I going to do all summer? Like, Sure, you know, why not? Well, you know, that's going to get old. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So yeah, I said, sure, I'll do it. And so I started doing that for them. And again, small industry, as I was doing that, word was getting out and I started getting phone calls from other people. That's how I ended up being self-employed. I reached out to the woman who had initially wanted to hire me and then contracted me, who I had the utmost respect for. And she was a VP for a big magazine company at the time. And I, her name was also Susan. And I said, hey, Susan, I got to tell you, I said, as much as I want to come work for you guys, I'm getting a lot of work coming in and I'm kind of liking this. And I feel like I need to ride this out and see where it goes. And I'll never forget, she said to me, she said, first, I don't blame you. I would do the same thing. And she says, second, I'm going to tell you, I'm not surprised. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and she was big. She had a big position in the industry. And I was just, wow, really, I've never forgotten it. It was the first time I really thought, wow, maybe I can do this. Yeah. So I did. And I spent about 10 years doing that. I ran my own marketing company. Okay. And I specialized in brand management in the equine sports industry. So I had clients from overseas that contracted me to run their U.S. marketing. I had domestic clients that would contract me to handle certain brands for them. It was great. I did a lot of traveling. I was, it, cool. it was a good time. It was wonderful. So Very cool. So yeah, that was my first venture. And so how far into your journey as a photographer did you decide that, hey, I want to make a living at this and... I can turn this into a business. <laughs> well, it depends on where you look at that journey starting. <laughs> so what really happened was in late 2008, 2009, 10, in that area, you know, the economy was starting to bust. I was in marketing and I was a contract employee. So those are the first two things companies cut back on. So my business, you know, I was losing clients and I pretty much wound down to just about zero. At the same time, I had kind of burned down my personal life. My marriage was not working and I decided, you know, after years of, you know, dealing with it or not dealing with it, I decided it was time. And so I kind of did one big giant leap across the board. I had gotten back into photography, I think as an outlet because of what I was dealing with on the personal side and, and all of that, I picked up the camera again. I got involved with a couple of people that were heavily into shooting, really just got bit by the bug. And I kind of just went, all right, I think I'm going to let the other career just die, just a final death. Yeah. And I'm going to try my hand at this. And I pretty much jumped in with both feet. I put some of my, I guess, some of my marketing stuff to work for myself and decided now was the best time to try it because I didn't really have a whole lot to lose. Right. Um, you know, when you're all the way at the bottom. Yeah. You can't go <laughs> you know, much further down from $150,000 a year job or something. Then I went, Oh my God, I need to at least make half of this. I pretty much had nothing. Yeah. So, so yeah, I started from, from scratch and did a Hail Mary, <laughs> 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 tried it and yeah. Yeah, it worked. So so that's how I started. I'd love to say it was some well thought out. <laughs> I ran spreadsheets. I did this. I did that. I got this set up first. I got that set up. Now I pretty much just jumped in, just jumped with no safety net. And thought, yeah. Well, if it doesn't work, I'm no worse off than, than you know. Yeah, very true. I am now, so I'll just what the hell? plan B. And yeah. So do you remember what your very first paying gig was as a photographer? 
I do. So I have friends of mine. They were actually my neighbors. There were two guys that had a wedding photography business that they did on the side. And they had a big wedding coming up and approached me and asked me if I would want to be basically a third shooter on that wedding. And I jumped at it. So that was the, I think the first time I took money for my work. And then I also had a friend right around the same time whose son was a high school senior and she hired me to do his senior portraits. So that was my very first two paying jobs. Weddings was just something I could never do. I, I second shot a wedding once and that never again. Yeah, they're I, awful. Oh, no, thank you. You have to be a certain type of person uh, to do weddings for yeah. sure. Yeah, I can't. I would go out of the business if I had to do weddings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I've done a few myself and I've done done some second shooting like in the early years but second shooting is definitely better than yes absolutely but i still couldn't even bring myself to do that no (laughs) i did it once and that was it Mm -mm. that's not where my heart is and i'm too meticulous i'm too particular and with weddings you really have to like you know okay it's good enough move on yeah because everything well and you never get a second chance to take that shot either you got to get it and that's it right yep Exactly. So yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't gel with the way I am. Yeah. Yeah. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started your entrepreneurial journey as a photographer? Oh, so that's a really tough one. I guess I really wish that I'd known it was going to work out in the long run. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe that I was going to be more successful at this than I was at anything else in my life. I remember questioning myself over and over, you know, if it was the right thing because, you know, I was in my forties, I was divorced. I had no money. I had two kids. It was a real, like, you know, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. (laughs) Have you really lost it? Is this a midlife crisis? But, you know, I, I think I would have liked to have known that. I guess the other thing I would have liked to have known is how hard and how time consuming it was going to be. I mean, it's not just picking up a camera and shooting and being done with it, which is what I think most people think it is. Yes. In the photography business, you know, it's the 10,000 other things that go along with it. That's not right. Not just the nuts and bolts of the actual craft, like the editing, the designing, the shooting, time spent working with clients before and after session. Um, but it's all the other stuff behind the scenes, the admin stuff and the the minutia that's involved with keeping an actual business running because let's face it it is a business if you're not doing that then it's just a hobby that's right so you know being able to see in the beginning how much being an entrepreneur you know running a small business forces you to struggle with balance i don't think that would have deterred me in any way but you know maybe if i realized it more in the beginning i might have been able to handle the balance a little bit better but you know, then again, I don't know. <laughs> because I still struggle with it all these years later. Yeah, it's a challenge. So, yeah, I mean, some of those things, I don't know that they would have changed anything knowing them up front, but maybe I would have approached some things. Maybe some things might have been a little bit easier if I'd had, like, you know, a different mindset of that. Yeah. Makes yeah. Sense. Yep. What is your favorite thing about being a photographer? What lights you up the most about it? Well, Obviously, I guess the expected response to that is probably the creativity, but the thing that makes me want to wake up every day and do this is watching the the transformation that takes place with my clients. 
you know, through the course of doing a session with me, it's phenomenal to see the impact something like this can have on women. You know, maybe it's the legacy everyone talks about of what do you leave behind? I struggled with that for a long time in my life because I was in marketing. I was like, I was figuring out how to sell people shit they really didn't need. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was like horse stuff. So yeah, an, an elite, you know, clientele we were selling things to, and that was it. And I really did struggle with that because I thought, geez, you know, I'm not really not making any kind of marker or leaving a legacy. But with this, I watched a change that happens with my clients from the time they walk in the door to the time they leave. And then after they see everything, when the whole process is over and, you know, something shifts for them. I have women that cry all the time when they see their images because they haven't seen that person in a really, really long time. They've forgotten she's in there somewhere. Yeah. Or didn't even know that she was in there somewhere. And for me, that's my why. That's the thing. It took me a long time to figure out my why when I first kind of fell into boudoir. Mm. Um, I always say boudoir found me. Yeah. Uh, But that's really my why. That's the thing that makes me get up and continue to do it. You know, and I relate to that because it's not, you know, unlike myself. Yeah. Struggle with all those same things also. So that's why photography, but more specifically why I do the particular genre of photography that I do. Which artists and photographers do you look up to and admire? Well, you know, I know it's kind of cliche. I've always loved Annie Leibovitz. Her work's fabulous. She seems to find the soul or the essence of people. Love that. More recently, I kind of fell in, this is going to sound funny, but I fell in love with Brian Adams' work. Okay. Um, Yeah. I mean, I love his style. I love what he does. You know, he makes me feel like a slacker because I'm like, dude, like... (laughs) <laughs> you were like a rock star first and now yeah. this huge published in-demand photographer. So yeah, I love work like that. That really mm-hmm. speaks to you on, you know, there's people out there then like on a smaller level, like Cara Marie Trombetta. She started around the same time I did and her work has always resonated with me. It inspired me even way back in the day when she was just a nobody in Texas. And it told, you know, we talked at the beginning of this about watching other people's successes and, you know, how great it feels to watch that happen and unfold for them. And she's definitely someone that I've watched from the beginning. And like my heart just sings watching what's happened with her. You know, I I may have a little girl crush on her. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Kara Marie's work is beautiful. She is incredibly talented. She really is. I'm like, I want to be her when I grow up. (laughs) And, you know, the thing is, I love her, too, because she's so transparent. She's so approachable. She's had challenges. She's had struggles, both personally, uh, you know, as well as professionally. But, you know, she's overcome a lot of odds as well. And she deserves every bit of everything that she gets. Yeah. So, you know, I I would say she's one that I I really love. I love Craig Lemire's work. He does like... Yeah, Craig Lemire is great too. Oh, any kind of work. I mean, the guy's freaking talented. Let me just say. He He can do anything and it's spot on and it's wonderful, you know. So on different levels, those are some of the people that I I really kind of admire and like and maybe on a little bit. (laughs) So... (laughs) When you aren't actually shooting paid photography work, what do you do to keep your mind in that creative space? You know, I kind of had to really think about this one. Obviously, I look at other people's work a lot. You know, I'm always looking at, you know, whether it's films, whether it's, you know, 
advertising pieces, whether it's paintings, anything like that, I can pull stuff from creatively. When something really sparks with me then, then I may go in and do a project shoot. I'll pull like one of my hair and makeup girls or, you know, my daughter sometimes, and we'll just go in and and we'll play. So, yeah, I mean, I think from a little bit from everywhere. Like I've been known to stop movies already because I saw like something, a writing or a pose or something (laughs) that I love. My husband's like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I'll stop it and I'll back it up to where I want it. And then I'll go up with my phone and take a picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I'll save it and then I'll go back later and I'll study it and see, okay, now what is it that I like about that? What is happening there? So, yeah. Love it. What inspired you or led you to start shooting the genre of boudoir? How did that journey start for you? Well, I've always loved portrait work. I mean, that's what I did in college. I recently found my old portfolio from school. Uh And when we moved and it was really interesting because when I went through it, I had the bulk of what I had, especially towards the end of it was all portrait work. And the end of it was like body landscapes and things that I had done at the time with an old roommate of mine. So I had actually forgotten completely about that. But, you know, then that's going back probably to 1989 or 90. So it was really fun to see I was doing that even back in the very early days that I was drawn to it. But then fast forward, you know, when I started, like I mentioned, I did some weddings. I did high school seniors. I did babies. I did newborns. Oh, my God. (laughs) That was a challenge. But I fell back. You know, I love portrait work. And I started shooting beauty, beauty and fashion stuff. And I had, you know, I came out through the whole Sue Bryce era. And so when I really hung my shingle out, that was what my focus was. And I had women coming in who started asking like, hey, if I brought in a piece or two of lingerie, could I shoot in that as well? And I was like, sure, no problem. So that started happening more and more. And then at some point, it kind of organically just switched. And I think as my boudoir work was going out there, that's what people were calling me looking for. And I don't know, it was maybe the better part of a year went by. And I said to my old assistant, I'm like, Hey, how long has it been since we shot anything like beauty, just a beauty session or, you know, a combo session, beauty and boudoir. And we kind of went back and looked and it ended up being, you know, better part of a year. So that's why I always say boudoir kind of found me. Had you told me in the early days, I was going to be a specialty photographer because there was a lot of talk about specialty photographers back then. I don't know if you, you remember that, but that was kind of a big thing that was starting to happen in the industry. Yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. I just like to get paid. I like to make money and pay my bills. Yeah. You know, specialties, you know, fine if you can do it. But, mm. and, you know, here I am all these years later now, a specialty photographer. There you go. So, Funny the way things work. Isn't it though? Yeah. Do you feel that being a boudoir photographer has helped shape who you become as a woman? And if so, how? I think so to some degrees. I think it's absolutely helped shape who I continue to evolve into as a middle-aged woman, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's an evolution of myself as a woman, though, also feeds my boudoir photography. So it kind of goes both ways. Yeah. You know, I have a great story about going to Italy last year, uh, and I was there to be photographed. Well, I was there to actually do a workshop with Cara Marie, 
And I decided to be photographed by her when I was over there because she was kind of a bucket list photographer for me. Mm -hmm. And I was going to go and not do it. And my husband was like, hello, (laughs) (laughs) you're going all the way to Italy and Kara's there. Why are you not doing this? So I did it. And, you know, my mental process of why I needed to do that shoot in the style that we did it in is really a great example of this. I needed to see myself. I needed to, like, I've done a lot of shoots before. I've gone in front of the camera several times. I'm a big believer in walking the walk and talking the talk. Yeah. And, you know, I get into periods where, you know, I'm just working all the time and, you know, raising kids and everything comes last and my tank's empty. So I've many times gone in front of the camera and with other photographers, I always go to other photographers. I don't, I don't selfie my boudoir sessions. (laughs) That would be interesting. Yeah. And I actually said to Cara, I said, look, I've done it all before. I've done the traditional lingerie. I've done like the rock t-shirts. I've done the white shoes. I've done all of that. And they're phenomenal. I said, but this one is just really, I said, I need to see me. I'm 56 years old. I've had kind of a rough year for no apparent reason. Nothing really happened this past year, but it's just like, I don't know, mentally, emotionally, whatever. It's just kind of a rough year. And, you know, I feel the clock ticking now more than ever. And I just, this session is 100% for me. And I just, I want it to be about me, not about the outfits, not about the poses, not any of that. And so she basically shot me in a, like a dance skin bodysuit, like a dance, you know, leotard thing. Yeah. And it was all about me and it was phenomenal. And I look at those images, like, you know, maybe not every day, but I look at them a few times a week and I'm so proud of them. And I really do feel like you see the essence of me. So I feel like, it impacts both ways. Like as yeah. a PR photographer and dealing with women, I'm much more in tune to what we go through as women. I, I see over the past decade, I've seen so many of, of the same story stories or similar stories that happen with women. Like we all think we're kind of in that boat alone, but we're really not. And we all take very similar paths which is, I mean, that's a whole other podcast right there. Yeah. Like, why do we women do what we do? Why do we put ourselves last? You know, why do we run on empty for months and years on end while we're giving to everybody else, but we don't step back and take care of ourselves or demand that others, I mean, demand's not a good word, but, you know, ask, ask them for support. us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's a story that just repeats itself constantly. So I'm very aware of that. So I I try to bring that into my own lifestyle and into how I view myself and how I handle myself. I'm much more in touch with my sensuality just because of what I do. It doesn't mean I walk around being sexy all the time, which (laughs) some people think too. I'm like, no, my husband would really love me to get rid of my holy sweats. (laughs) He's like, Sue, seriously, they're like disintegrating off your body. (laughs) So no, I don't lay around in lingerie all the time. Yeah. But you do get more in touch with the essence of who you are and you get more comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe sometimes because of what I do, maybe even a little desensitized to things like, you know, my daughter gets upset if I, you know, walk in her room and she might be like taking her shirt off or something. She's 15 years old. I totally get it. Yeah. Uh, But I'm like, Oh my God, honey, a, you're my (laughs) daughter. B I see them all the time. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Just so there are times I have to watch myself because you do get a little desensitized, but yeah, I think it does affect me. But then I also feel like I bring 
some of my own experience and where I am in life into my shooting. I was so impacted by what I did in Italy with Cara. And now I'm like, every woman needs to do that. <laughs> you know, it's the, in my head, I call them the soul sessions, you know, yeah. the sessions. And, and when I have a client that wants to do that, I am very, very happy to go down that path with them or incorporate it as part of their session. Not everyone does. You know, a lot of ladies come to me and they just, they want to do the more traditional thing. You know, they're not at a point in their lives where that sort of thing is speaking to them. But, right. and the ones that do, I'm like all in. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's great. It's yeah. phenomenal. So I think it does go both ways for sure. Yeah, I know you have two kids. You mentioned your daughter. How do you empower your kids and how do you empower your son versus your daughter? Hi. So <laughs> I guess with my kids, you know, I try to be an example to them. I try to show them that, you know, you should strive to be independent. You should strive to be self-reliant, but also follow your heart and, and follow your passion. I think that's the most empowering thing ever is to be able to figure out who you are, what you are, and what really lights your soul on fire, and then be able to follow it and focus and stay the course and not let other people steer you off or, you know, influence it in any sort of negative way. So I, you know, like we talked about before, I missed out on a bigger part of my career because when I left college, you know, the safe route, the route all the adults told me to take. Yeah. And that involved my my degree and everything. And, and I did that. No one really understood that, you know, my need to be an artist or accepted the fact that you can make money on it. I guess maybe if they realized, you know, if it was common knowledge, like, hey, you can make money as an artist, they probably been, would have been like, go for it. <laughs> but, you know, it just wasn't the case. I don't know that that's even the case now. And again, that's a whole other podcast there. You know, artists that may make money versus artists that don't. Yeah, but, You know, I, I think the path that I took my first 15 to 20 years outside of school definitely helped shape me and it gave me the tools that, you know, I was able to be a successful business owner and make it a possibility. But I want my kids to know it's okay to follow their hearts. You know, they may have to be resilient. They may have to stand up for themselves, be strong enough to, to withstand failures and, and heartbreak that's going to come with some of it. But at the end, that strength and that resilience, that you know, the drive is what's going to really make them happy. You know, they're the tools that you really need to achieve anything and, and withstand anything, both professionally and personally. So, so I guess that's how I try to empower my kids. I don't know, you know, try to set the example and hopefully, you know, they're going to do their own thing, right? Their yeah. Kids, but they're their own people. Yep, for uh, sure. But, but hopefully I've instilled enough of that in them that it'll empower them to be able to stand up for themselves and, and stay the course and pick themselves up when, you know, when they fall on the ground and keep going. Not yeah. Stop. So keep going. Beautiful. Now, being a boudoir photographer, you're obviously a big advocate of self-love, body acceptance, women's empowerment. Can you speak a little bit about what those things mean to you on a personal level? So I guess, you know, learning to love yourself is a lifelong journey. I've definitely been on both sides of that fence. Right now, I'm at a point, I guess, because of my age and, you know, I've got young children. I try to be less focused and worried on the fact that, you know, I don't know, maybe I have a little bit of a belly pooch. 
or I might be 10 pounds heavier than I would love to be, but I'm healthy. You know, I'm healthy. I'm active. I ski a lot. I'm always going, I'm not content to sit around. And, you know, it's, you know, that's also a little bit of a curse, I guess, (laughs) because I struggle to stay in the present, but on a personal level of body positivity, I feel like I'm in a better place today than definitely than what I was in my twenties or thirties or, or even to some degree in my forties. That's really been a work in progress for me. So, you know, we were, we were raised in that age where that wasn't really a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the kids today are very different also with that. They're very I want to say they're less judgy. I think they're judgy in different areas, you know, but when it comes to body, they're much more accepting of all different, you know, shapes, sizes, you know, the whole nine yards and it's becoming more than norm. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Speaking of empowerment, what does that word mean to you? Strength. I think it means strength. You know, it's strength is empowering because it encompasses so many different levels. If it's just, you know, the strength to get through the day, if it's the strength to deal with a a tough situation, it's the strength to bounce back from something that's really knocked you down, the strength to maybe not listen to people that are negative or don't want to see you succeed. So I think empowerment really is strength. It's being able to put the blinders on, you know, or put the armor on and just not let things bother you, not let things sway you, derail you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What is one common myth about your profession as a photographer that you'd like to debunk? (laughs) I know there's many, but. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the biggest one, and I say this all the time, is, you know, that women only do these sexy pictures. Here I go with the air quotes again that you can't <laughs> Sexy pictures in their lingerie as a gift for their partner. And I always say it's the biggest, you know, misconception in boudoir by people that, that haven't done it yet or haven't been, you know, involved with someone who's done it yet. It's, it's definitely an element of why some women do it, but more often than not, there's so much more to it than just, you know, Ooh, I want to take sexy pictures of my lingerie for my honey. So I I found that was something that was very like when I would do, when I do my pre-shoot consults and that is one of the first questions I'll ask them is why are you doing this? And a lot of the women said it's for my partner, it's for my husband, it's for my wife, whatever the case is. Uh And I have to jump in and say, you know, that's great that you want to gift the images to your partner. That's wonderful. And that's part of it. But this has to be and should be first and foremost for you. This is something for you. Mm-hmm. And that's where you start. Yes, you, you can gift the images. And, you know, honestly, to me, the images are just a byproduct of it. It's about the experience, really. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. about feeling into that session and seeing yourself in a light that you normally don't get to see yourself in. That's what it's about. It's not yeah. about the images. The yeah. images are just a byproduct that you can gift to your partner. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like the images are not only the byproduct to gift to your partner, but there's something you can go back to and, yeah. and reference, you know, when you're absolutely having, having that those times. I remember Cara Marie saying in a post at one point that, um, 
you know, I think it was a post about wall art or something. And she talked about having wall art pieces of herself up on the wall. And, you know, that was around the time when she was really open about some of her struggles she was having with her health. And she said, you know, when I get up in the morning and I get my coffee and, you know, I don't remember exactly how she said it, but, you know, when she's really not feeling great and she looks up and looks at that, you know, piece of art of herself on the wall and she goes... Yep. She's in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's in there. And, you know, that really resonated with me. And I, I've repeated that many times to, to clients and, and done it myself. I, I have art up in my room as well. And, you know, there's times I get up and I feel like I'm 80 years old. It's me a minute to straighten up. And I'm like, oh, God. And, you know, you look at that and you go, all right. Like, it just makes you feel better because you see yourself. You don't see yourself with all the all the, the stuff with, you know, the world on your shoulders, yeah. the stress and the strain and the exhaustion, you see the best part of you up there. And I yeah. think, you know, we all need that reminder sometimes. For sure. It's a keepsake. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Something to look back on 10 years, 20 years down the road and mm-hmm. like, holy shit, look at how damn hot I was. Yeah. 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 It's, hot, it's important. Strong, beautiful. Yeah. All of those. Yeah. Um, Courageous. All of it. Just like seeing yourself, just seeing the the essence the of true, you authentic you. Yeah, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with being sexy. See, I think that's nope. a big misconception. Yeah, you yeah. know, we're raised as women, and we're like, well, you know, men, and I hate to say this because it sounds like a blanket statement, but you know, men want us to be sexy. You know, we kind of want to be sexy for our men, but I also feel good when I feel like I look good. I feel good. Yep, we absolutely. Are, we are inherently female. So I feel like it's like that double-edged sword, the way, you know, society is like, they want us to be there and there's an expectation of us to be there. But then there's the, like, don't be too much of that. Yeah, like, shut that down. But that goes for a lot of things. Yeah, don't be too loud. Don't be, that. yeah, there's yeah. there's lots of things that women get labeled with. And it's like, yeah. you're you're if you're too strong as a woman, you're a bitch. If you're too... Yeah loud it's like be quiet it's you know it's ridiculous it's absolutely insane yeah so you know and as far as doing it for a gift i would say i get a lot of clients that do come in that tell me like i'm doing this for me and i feel like that's developed more and more over the years as boudoir has gotten a little bit more mainstream yeah but even my clients that come in that are 100 percent like no i'm doing this as a gift it's a wedding gift or an anniversary gift or you know birthday whatever i'm giving this to my partner at some point through the process it generally comes out that, well, yeah, but I've also been wanting to do this. For <laughs> yeah. So I feel like, again, it's that weird female thing, like the way we're wired, like it's, there's something wrong with us. If we just go, you know what? I need to go out and I need to do something fun. I need to see myself. I'm going to just go spend some money and do a boudoir session and get artwork done of myself. Yeah. Like we feel guilty doing that. We're yep. not wired that way. So if we can, combine it or couch it with something else that, well, well, I do need to also get an anniversary gift this year. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right, then it makes it okay. I feel like that female mindset is a little different from the male mindset. Um, This is something else we often kind of joke about in the studio is a lot of times guys had a bad couple of months or whatever, like I need to take a golf trip with the guys. Yeah. you know, or I'm going to buy myself a new set of golf clubs or whatever. And you yeah. know, some guys may discuss that before they do it or whatever, but a lot of times they're like, I need this. Yeah. And 
women, we have a really hard time saying, I need this. I need to do this, or I want to do something just for me. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've had clients sit in my office vacillating as to what they should spend or not spend because, I mean, it's an investment, but it's a luxury level investment and they struggle and then they're kind of like, well, you know, I have a Disney trip coming up for the kids and I have a vacation with my husband and I have this and I have that, but but I really want these. I really want all of these. And I really want this gorgeous album. And I really want the artwork. And they war with themselves. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we feel guilty when we do for ourselves or we spend money. Yeah, because women are always putting themselves on the back burner. They put everyone else ahead of themselves, for sure. Yes. Yep, yep. So... So we can figure that one out. (laughs) We will change the world. There you go. Okay. I want to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. How would you describe yourself in one word? Well, I think I've used it a bunch of times already. Resilient. Definitely resilient. Early bird or night owl? (laughs) Neither. (laughs) <laughs> I wish I'd love to be an early bird. I'm jealous of early birds. They get so much done by lunchtime. <laughs> Sadly, I'm not really either. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? <laughs> Probably strap in. <laughs> <laughs> if you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Patience. I think patience. We're all in such a hurry anymore. What is your favorite self-care practice? Well, on a small level, that little bit of time I get in the morning when I get to sit with my coffee and just have the quiet and no distractions or anything, and I can just kind of let my mind work uh, without all the excess stuff going on. Outside of that, going to the beach, the beach with my dogs. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Being a good mom. I know that probably sounds really cliche, but I've spent, you know, the last decade and a half of my life, more almost two decades, I guess, raising kids and a decade and a half of that, raising them separate from their dad and trying to do a really good job with a lot of challenges. And I think that's, you know, my big thing. Yeah. Teary now, but of all the things I could be remembered for, I just want to be remembered as a good mom. Beautiful. What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? Best version of me, I don't know, relaxed, patient. I struggle with that. Loving and, you know, someone I would love to be the person who can really just stay in the present and enjoy the present. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What's an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? Probably meeting my husband. I, uh, you know, after I went through my divorce, I really didn't think I'd ever be with anyone. And I mean, I thought I'd be with people, but I really just thought I was like done on the long-term level. Yeah. And and frankly, when I met him, I was like, you know, he's not my type. (laughs) (laughs) This will be short-lived. It'll be fun for a little while. And then, you know, I'll be moving on. And it turns out he really was very much my type. And he was an artist as well. And I think that was, it's really a blessing to have, met someone and been able to really form a life with someone again, who, you know, he gets me, we get each other, but yeah, I think as an artist, artists struggle because yeah, people to understand sometimes. 
Yeah, absolutely. What challenge in your life has shaped you the most, Susan? Well, I'll go back to when I burned my life down and started over, you know, being single mom, unemployed, going through a not so nice divorce and watching, you know, the industry I was in when I was, you know, formerly in the marketing business kind of drying up because of external forces and then making that decision to chase my dream all at the same time. So, <laughs> That's a lot for sure. Like a little challenge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was either going to work or it was going to fail miserably. So, yeah. And um, here you are on the other side of it. Worked. But yeah, that, that really shaped me. It really showed me what I was made of, honestly. So love it. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? I think that it's okay to fail and to get back up and try again, you know, and sometimes those failures are what really build towards the successes to learn something from that. Yeah, for sure. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Yeah, this one's really easy. It would be my Nana. That's my dad's mom. Yeah. She passed away suddenly when I was 17 And she had, as the years went on and I went into adulthood, I heard things about her, stories about her life, bits and pieces from people. And she had an extremely interesting life, but she took most of it with her when she went. And so there's a lot of questions and I think there's a movie in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to just sit and talk with her for and be like, okay. (laughs) how did this happen you know yeah yeah yeah, absolutely my nana if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice what would that piece of advice be (laughs) hang in there it's all going to work out it's all going to be okay and lastly susan if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world your corner of the world your people your tribe what would that last 30 seconds sound like what words of wisdom would you impart It's been a phenomenal journey, (laughs) but no, I mean, I'm, I think I would want to say like, I'm just so honored to have had the people in my life that I I had and to have had as much time as I had to spend with them, you know, let them know how much I truly love them. I do it all over again. Here, you're going to make me get teary again, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably my job. (laughs) (laughs) No, stop. (laughs) But Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you boil it all down, isn't that what's important? Yeah, for sure. Everything else is extraneous. Yeah. Thank you so much, Susan. It's been an absolute pleasure talking shop with you and learning more about your story and your journey and the beautiful light that you shine out into the world with the work you do. You are a true inspiration and a beautiful human being, woman, and soul. So thank you for taking and making the time to be here with me today. And I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm honored to be part of the community. It's phenomenal. I listen to your podcasts all the time. (laughs) When I'm driving, I listen. My daughter listens to them too when she's in the car with me. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, you've had some phenomenal women on here, and I'm really, really honored to be included in that group. Well, now you are part of the tribe. So thank you for being here and for sharing and for agreeing to be part of it, for having the courage to say yes to be part of it. I appreciate you. 
No, thank you so much. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Susan Page. She's a professional photographer who runs a successful studio that specializes in empowering women through the genre of boudoir photography. Thank you so much, Susan. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thanks. You too, Brad. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.